Oh, where's that? Is that new Skype? Yeah, look at this. This is what I, I, I log yeah. on to talk to you on the podcast, and this is what I'm faced with. What is this? This uh, kind of purple My... and red pastel monster. They're kind of trying to do like a Rectifs thing where it's like a blue circle yeah. and a red circle, but they're reversed. My... Uh... My dear, sweet, unvaccinated mother mm. uh, knitted Madeline a sweat. Uh, excuse me, a, a scarf. For some reason, this immediately calls to mind when I say ombre, not ombre, but ombre. Mm -hmm. Like, does does that kind of put you in the mind of that window? I guess. Mm. Look how low resolution my avatar is. Yeah, well, it's an old version. That's probably from what nineteen eighty six. Looks like it. It's kind of an eighties thing. Um, this is the show. It was a platformer. And so Link first appeared on NES or S Super NES. It's so not a, it was like, it was like the original. Platformer. It's a platformer. You run. It's not a platformer. It's a jump, jumping mushroom coin game. It is not. Hmm, what am I thinking of? Is that Mario? Mario Brothers? <laughs> yeah. Keep trying. Yeah. I mean, you keep trying. You do that. Link first appeared on the Nintendo Entertainment System. NES. Yeah, yeah. It's cute, though. You know what? I, I bet I bet you could commission somebody to draw you a nicer, more modern one. Is that a shield that Link is holding? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, see, that's the, the problem with uh, the problem with this modern age. The problem with the kids these days is yeah. um, if you have pixel graphics, like graphics from a time when pixels were much, much larger, there were far fewer of them per inch of screen space, and you try to show those graphics in a modern context, your Twitter avatar, your profile picture on Facebook, you know, whatever, and your Apple ID picture in your contacts, uh, you don't have enough control over the, like the, the quote-unquote photo data to make it so that the pixels show up with sharp edges. It, it thinks it's a photograph and it will resize it. And of course it will blur it as it resizes it because you yeah. expect it to do that with a photo. But, you're, but what you're saying is no, link here is made up of squares called pixels and you can make them bigger, but you have to use like nearest neighbor scaling. You have to scale it up with sharp edges. Yeah, so I was going to say where it's, that's why it looks so smooshy is because mm -hmm. it's trying to guess what, how to smooth it. Right, and you, I wish you could say, don't smooth it, just, you know, but nobody gives you that kind of control. So then you have to guess, okay, what resolution does this service actually want it in? If I give you an image of exactly that size with sharp edges, will you not blur it? And the answer is there's nothing you could do about it because every service shows the avatar different sizes in different contexts. So your pixel art is always going to be blurry. And here we are. Mm -hmm. Here I am with the, I got a blurry link. You can't show, oh, he looks a little bit smeared. He does, yeah. Peach is the name of the, um, the, the lady in the castle. Um, she's a lady in a castle. Right, but then Zelda has to go uh, go save her. No, and the other tower. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, permiso. I uh, I would like to apologize to you and to our listeners. I didn't bother contacting you about this, although I, I imagine you noticed it. Um, there were no links. Oh, see see what I did there. I see what you did there. What do you mean there were no links? I I put links in for this show. I made them. Do you want to take this? Go ahead. What happened to the links? Oh my God. I I'm a, I should be an honorary woman. I, I do so much emotional labor uh -huh. on all of the uh -huh. shows. And then I get I get yelled at for for the Friday night that I spend trying to fix the things when they don't mm -hmm. work. Um I do this will be short. I have a pretty quick explanation. I apologize to John and I apologize to you, the listener, because you'd never guess it, but John and I do sort of sweat uh, you know. 
the links in the notes and having everything be correct. Um, you're going to probably be able to guess what happened. You were there watching this on Slack last week. First of all, we've got to stop posting on Fridays. That's completely mental. But if we're lucky, we post on Fridays. But this is nobody's fault but my own, and here's what happened. I uploaded the audio for, uh, because of the way our system is set up, we do the public, you know, uh, main feed, free feed uh, first, and then we clone that and then make that into the member feed. I upload separate audio, uh, audio for that, and I do slightly different notes for that. But uh, it was... Uh, and the the, uh, the person who who designed this interface, uh, the phrase they use is audio is cooking. So when you paste in a link, in this case to Libsyn, where our stuff is hosted, you can figure it out. Um, it was saying audio is still cooking, audio is still cooking. I kept coming back. And when it says audio is cooking, I'm in a liminal state where I, I can't like replace it. I don't know if that makes any sense. But it's like when anything where you've got to click a button to upload something on a web page, it was stuck is the way I would phrase it. And so I contacted the suits and I said, Hey, I think this is stuck. I, I don't know what I screwed up, but so yes, you did have links. You did it. You did a fine job. You did actually a very fine job. You've, you've been really awesome at helping with that lately. Um, especially, but, um, we had to contact. So, so, so my, 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 my contact in the suits, a person called, uh, Steppen, Steppen says, oh, okay, I'm on the phone right now. I can't figure He contacts the developer of the CMS. CMS developer is getting on a plane. And I'm like, okay, you know, no problem. You know, you have, you have to admit, you know, given that I have ADHD, I, I thrive in, in weird situations. You know, that's generally when I'm at my, at my strongest. In this case, I was at my strongest when I said, don't worry about it. We'll get it later. And then I thought, oh, but here's the thing. For our dear member listeners, this oughtn't preclude me from making sure they get theirs. I'll tell you a dirty little secret. Um, I create a false economy every week, every other week, where I make sure I do my damnedest to make sure that our members get their episode first because I would never want them to feel bad that the public one is up and they haven't gotten what they paid for. But guess what? Audio is cooking on the member episode too. So now I got two things stuck because it's always two stuck things with me. And eventually, guess what daddy did? I contacted the suits about this because, you know, we got to not screw up the numbering. I'm sorry I'm talking about the show on the show, but this will make sense. And it actually becomes literally as relevant as today's headlines. And today's headlines, this week's headlines. So now, screwed the whole thing up. Guess what? I, I deleted the episode. It did not occur to me to, like, grab the links that were in there before I deleted it because it was most important to, you know, get the episode up. That's where your links went. I had to delete the episode and then uh, repost everything again. And I got a pretty good guess what happened. It's not very interesting, but do you want to guess? Audio is cooking. That's my only, <laughs> my only guess is audio is cooking. Well, I, I'm not going to call this. Well, even if this is exactly what happened, I'm still not going to call it a bug because Dropbox can suck a bag of um, things. And uh, But you know what I think happened because of Selective Sync? I think, because you know you can still kind of interact with Finder objects, even if they're online only. And I think what happened was, I, I've done this before with Squarespace, accidentally. I tried to upload something that wasn't actually on my Mac. Do you know what I mean? I know, you, I know, I know. Dropbox is, in, is a need-to-use situation for you. I think what happened was I clicked the thing that represent as an icon for this file that was not actually downloaded to my drive. Squarespace throws up a uh, 
a big nasty gram about that if you try to do that. But in this instance, the CMS didn't catch it bad on me. And that's, I'm pretty sure what happened. That's why I had to delete the pages and start over. And that's where your beautiful links went. And I apologize to you and the listener. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll learn and do better next time. Well, the good news is you spoke long enough for me to restore all the links to episode 175. This is why we're such a good team. You know, we're very complimentary. And obviously, I mean complimentary with E's, not I's. Yeah, the bad there's news no I, is... There's no, I, I, there's no I in complimentary. The bad news is I only restored them to the public episode. I will restore them to the member episode later. You'll do that. Yes, I will. Thank you very and much. how was I able to restore them, Merlin? How, how was I able to do this? And because how they're can in your, this be? your queue or stack? There is no, no Q or stack. No. You said, oh. come on. Okay, hang on, hang on. I can do this. Uh, because you had all of the links in the show document rather than the CMS notes page, which is what you encouraged me to do. Good guess, but no. As, because as as you might recall, I don't ever have all the notes in the in the document. Oh, I know that. It's just yeah. the notes that I need to put there to remind myself to, you know. Oh, it's like a reminder. It's like uh, my Curly's iPhone. It's just full of reminders. No, reminders. I, I got to remember to remember. Anyway, uh, mm. you got one more guess because it's always two guesses with you. Okay. Um, be, well, see, now I already made the joke and you denied the joke. I, I would have guessed you had it in BB Edit and were putting them in. Had you, I don't know, how'd you do that? Bookmarks, no? Browser tabs. I have that tab <gasps> open. The tab was still open on the link page. Saves the day the tab again. is always open on the page with the links for the previous thing. And sure enough, there it was. Well, you know, again, I I will pay you a compliment about our complimentariness. That, mm-hmm. that, fantastic. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of that. Um, we're solving mm, problems. We're, we're the problem we're, solving We're knocking coalition. them down. I have to agree. I really do. Um, the the thing, you know, I I think I think I'm not learning how to use tab groups correctly. I think I'm treating tab groups the way that I would treat command click on a bookmark folder. But like, mm. if you change something in a, is it supposed to do that? If you're in a tab group and you look at something and you look at something else, you open a new window, then that is part of your tab. Is, it, is that how it's supposed to work? I don't know. I don't use tab groups, and I've seen a lot of people complaining that they don't understand how they're supposed to work either. Um, I think it, what I it's think trying... I think for people like you. I, I'm no, not like you per I, se. I, I think what it, my understanding, my vague understanding, is that it's kind of like, uh, you know, autosave in the parlance of several years ago, where, yeah, yeah you've got a tab group, but everything you do is immediately persistent in that tab group. And it's not, as you said, like, oh, I set up a, a bunch of uh, bookmarks in a folder and I command click and it opens all. It's not like that at all because that's like one directional arrow. It's like, here, list of things, push the button, right. list of things become tabs, right? Which this makes is... sense. Which makes sense. It's just not what I expected. Like right, I, yeah. I created and, one that's my media stealing apparatus. I created one that's just all my do by Friday things. I should probably just, and I already had, you know, uh, we used to call them tab groups, I think on, no, what do they call them on Explorer? Remember on Explorer and you got the, you can still do this where you get that little, black square that means i can hit this without command and it always replaces all you know that thing i guess i just need to get better about it i think it's confusing though it is confusing and i've heard it's also kind of buggy so i've been avoiding it yeah anyway um thank you for hearing me out about that um i'll do better next time we have uh, some other follow-up though we have some good follow-up this week Yep, this is from Oliver. Uh, he wants us to know that CRI is not the only color, color rendering scale. Like, what was it? Color rendering index CRI stood for? Yeah, this is you looking at your uh, looking at some new LED lights, and and CRI is the accuracy of 
See, it's not color, right? Or not temperature. No. Yeah, it's no, color. It's, yeah, it's color, color, color rendering index. Anyway, it's supposed okay. to give you a measure of how well your light is able to show all the different colors as they're supposed to be seen. Or if you have a really bad CRI, two different colors could look the same. The opposite of that would be like a black light. Like you're in a haunted yeah. house and the purple light is on and everything looks and so looks uh, wacky. Color, right. So apparently yeah. there are other scales for measuring this, other systems for measuring this. One of them is called TLCI. Uh, and hmm. there is a YouTube video that we put a link to in the show notes that explains the difference between these. And it's kind of a shame, though, because like there's there's these better tests that this, vid- this video amply demonstrates. But you're kind of uh, at the mercy of what light bulb manufacturers choose to list. So even though CRI may not be the best measure of color quality and fidelity, if they don't list TLCI on the side of their box, you just have to shop based on CRI. So I hope the industry uh, gets with the program here and uh, sort of. Hmm. ups their standards. The value of all of this, it seems to me, is, I don't know if standard is exactly the right word, but that there would be some kind of a bar that Lumen always means Lumen, poor Professor Lumen, and that, uh, you know what I mean? Like, the, the for this to be useful, it needs to be the way we used to think about watts. But I guess now we think about Lumens. I need to look up CRI versus TLCI, the importance of color rendition. Ooh, this is on videomaker.com. Okay, full and broken spectrum. Oh, this is, oh, I'm going to add this to notes too. This is good. Uh, you can add it right to the notes if you want. Okay. Ah, uh, cool. And that is uh, from listener Oliver. Oliver. Thank you, Oliver. We appreciate that. I am, I'm pretty satisfied with my lights so far. Uh, I sent you a little quick and dirty of what it looks like. But then I bought some gels. Did I tell you about gels? Did, I tell Did you, about you send me? When, when you sent me a picture. Remember when I, I circled it and uh, I sent you the thing? I said it's kind of subtle. It's 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 fine. But then I got some gels for classrooms. So mm-hmm. I got a Milky Way that I stuck up mm-hmm. in my uh, diffuser. And I shouldn't have gotten something blueish. I should have gotten something reddish. But it's really at this point now I'm just throwing good attention after bad. There's no need. Where, where, where's your uh, LED project at this point? Uh, it's on hold. I'm still mm-hmm. got the... Uh the fluorescence in there and i'm not making any forward progress on that at this time at this time while we're at it how's your uh, how's your right toe i, I re-listened to that last night Oof. it's hanging it's in there journey yeah <laughs> no, it's, i've got mm-hmm. my my follow-up appointment in whatever a month and a half at this point and i'll i'm sure to keep you updated i should find out what kind of uh toe instruments you got so i could go to work on myself no you don't want you don't want to do that get a good toe knife um also, in follow-up, I feel like there was another thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got this from a couple listeners. And gosh dang it, I did not write down who it's from. Uh, a couple different listeners very kindly pointed out uh, something I was utterly missing in the admittedly bewildering interface for Gmail on iOS, uh, which is that there is a way to mark uh, an email message as unread. And it's like it's the little envelope, right? Yeah, I was one of those listeners because you talked about this not on this podcast but on a different mm. one, right? That sounds like me. Yeah. Anyway. Is it here? Might, might have been somewhere else, or it could, could have been here. But no, I, I guess the, the mnemonic is you reseal the envelope. Mm, yeah. That's not, the, the icon is not that great. This is kind of a problem with a lot of phone <sighs> interfaces. Gmail's not a good app. It's not a, it's so, I'm with you. So obviously I'm a listener of ATP. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, you guys talked about email. Like I used to use Fastmail. God, when Marco was still programming at Windows, I was using Fastmail. Way back in the day when you had your own, I guess they still have this, the custom spam thing and all that. But uh, I'm with you. I My preferred interface to this hour remains the gmail uh, interface and i don't know i kept waiting for a credit from marco 
uh, for, uh, well, we don't, we can't say this word on this program, but pound sign Merlin's poop list, which is like when, uh, that's a phrase we came up with on Dubai Friday for anytime Alex or Max would ask me what I recommend in a given class of item, or in this case, application, like, hey, what's, 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 the, what's the best email program? I said, well, the email program that I use is XYZ, which is the least worst email program as of right now. But every email program is bad. They're all bad. And, uh, and I, I just think I still, I'm, I'm just, it's those key commands, man. And luckily in the Mindstream thing, if it didn't have that inbox zero thing, I'd be more enthusiastic. But um, I do love that it honors most of the Gmail meta keyless, you know, letter buttons. Do you use those? Are you a user of those? Yeah, I ran into a problem with Mimestream because what I realized, I kind of, this happens to me with Emacs occasionally too. I realized that I don't use the default key bindings in Gmail or in Emacs. And so when Mimestream is out and like, here we go, Mimestream, and it supports all the Gmail key bindings, but I am like, <sighs> uh, it, it makes it so that I am, I'm no longer fluent in it. I press the keys that I expect to do something, but they don't because it just supports the Whoa, default So ones. you, you can customize like for me, what's, you know, stuff like it. I think, I feel like this comes out of VI, but I'll, if you say it's Emacs, I'll agree. But like JK, bracket, bracket. <sighs> Um, I leave most, other ones. Uh, I leave most of them default, but there are a few ones that I use all the time that apparently are not the defaults. And I've long since forgotten about that until I hit like, you know, you are minus whatever and they do something different. Oh, you're doing, I see you're doing a full stallman. I get it. Okay. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, so much of that is really in my bones, maybe even enough in my bones that I might be able to name a few. Like I say, left bracket, right bracket, um, mark is red and go to next door previous. Um, you takes you up out of a message to the list level, shift U, marks as unread, and takes you up GA. See, I use U to select all the unread, and I use R to mark as read. Oh, interesting. And I use minus minus to deselect all. I use I use I, I and then capital E. I'll select a bunch of stuff either through X's, usually by Xing and like a monster, I'll I'll you know arrow key up and down to X a bunch. And then I do, I think it's I and I, it's mark as read and move to archive, which I think is I and then capital E. Yeah, this, is I, a, I, this is a problem with Emacs and that I don't know what the key bindings are anymore, but my fingers mm-hmm. know them, right? Know, and so I trying know, to recite them becomes difficult. But anyway, the point is that Mimestream supports Gmail key bindings, but does not support a way to customize them. Whereas the Gmail web interface supports Gmail key bindings, obviously, because it is Gmail, and also supports a way for you to customize them if you want to change one. And I did that some in time in 2004 or whatever the hell. Uh, mm-hmm. And then promptly forgot about it and only realized <laughs> that when I tried to use MimeStream and none of my keyboard commands worked. I right. used to feel like this when I'd sit down on a Mac that didn't have Quicksilver. Yeah. There was a point where I was so, I was so, I mean, I'm, Quicksilver took over my life where like I was doing the craziest, dumb, weird stuff just because I could. And I, like, I don't know. I just, it became an, for a while before it got slow and then it got fast again, but it was a no look app for me. I was just, you know, the same way probably that you are with, uh, with Emacs. I don't know. It's, you know, here you go. I'm going to make a prediction for you. Uh, oh, here comes a prediction. I'm holding up the Gmail envelope to my head. Uh, when the mainstream people stop pretending they'll ever support anything but Gmail, don't worry. They'll put all their wood behind that arrow and then you'll have custom keys. Then they'll get acquired by Dropbox, Spotify, uh, or maybe, I don't know, Grubhub, and uh, it'll all just go away. Mm-hmm. I think it's just one person. Really? Sure, so, yeah. That's pretty, it's so, a pretty good so app. So adjust I, your I, expectations. Well, it's in beta, but like, I think it's, I think it's pretty good and it doesn't seem weird. Like it doesn't want to, 
persistent login like so many of the Ocurrent apps. Yeah. It doesn't want to like remember my login so it can do all of its server-side magic with every bit of data I have on Google. I hate that. I really hate it. That's, that's why I've abandoned the last couple uh, Mac, especially email apps, is like they do some kind of magic, but it's at the cost of like yet another like hole you leave sort of permanently open. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, uh, I'm going to keep doing this ad until you get a Squarespace, uh, you know, and maybe I can, you know, persuade you this time. Let me tell you, Squarespace, okay, it's the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and to run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, They've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. If you will it, it is no dream. That's Theodore Herzl. Squarespace has everything that you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start out with a professionally designed template, gorgeous templates, and then you just use very simple drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. But just because those tools are simple does not mean it's not powerful. Oh, Jiminy Christmas, it's so powerful because you get to customize the look and feel, the settings, the products that you have on sale, all this and so much more with just a few clicks and maybe a couple drags. It's real easy. You're not going to hurt your hand or anything. All Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. This is true. So your content is going to look amazing on any device or dingus straight out of the box. You get so much. You get a free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources that are going to help you to succeed. Nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help. And they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you're going to get everything that you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. And whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace is going to help you out. You're going to turn your big idea into a new website. You can, you can showcase your work with their beautiful portfolio designs. Publish your next blog post. Promote your business. Announce an upcoming event. You can do it all. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Um, Roderick on the Line is another podcast that I do. This is not an ad for that. But I, uh, I we've been with Squarespace since the beginning. And uh, I can tell you this week, I had a lot of problems with this podcast. And you know, but it was the making of the podcast that was difficult. That tech part of it. The nice thing about Squarespace is that they have been rock solid for us. It's so easy to use. It's so fun. It's so simple. And uh, I, I, I look forward to using it because it's, it's never let me down. And that makes me feel really good. Um, you can join me and lots of other people who have Squarespace sites. You just go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you a free trial. Free trial means no credit card required. And then when you're ready to launch, you can use our extremely special offer code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace.com slash diffs. And please do use that code D-I-F-F-S for 10% off your first purchase. Get out there and do it. Uh, you know, it shows your support for Syracuse and God, you know he loves that. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um, email's the worst. We should all stop using it. Your toe's okay. Hey, um, says here on the list, do we have time for this? Do you, do you, can you, can you just bring us, can you, can you tickle our, uh, tickle our bone with ongoing appliance rebellion? Yep. Uh, I think my appliances listen to the show. Uh, mm-hmm. and they hear me oh. talking about, uh, 
them and they talk amongst <laughs> each other and get angry and decide which one of <laughs> is, them is the appliance whisper network yeah i mean that's, isn't that what thread is that's my understanding that's what thread is yeah you can have a host you can have it eligible it could be sleepy yeah same thing anyway uh my sync stopped working uh my I've, i bought this sink that i try to get the least fancy sink, sink I as could. in water in kitchen not as in sinking yeah as in water in mm. kitchen I, I tried to get the least fancy faucet i could way back when um that's still I remember you didn't want the one with motion i, I right? didn't want the voice activated one <laughs> The voice. <laughs> i was act- looking at a i was looking at a motion activated trash can the other day and i just closed the tab yeah you know and, and the thing is like it's difficult to find ones that don't have this crap on them now so the best i could come up with i think i mentioned this when we talked about it before the best i could come up with was a faucet that has touch sensitivity which mm-hmm. i thought was silly and frivolous but very quickly our entire house minus one person became addicted to um your son your son doesn't like it yeah he just uses it manually i don't know why Mm. anyway well at least he's using it yeah uh so uh the the way that works is there's a solenoid down underneath the uh uh you know underneath the sink uh that responds to the touch thing and it opens and closes the little solenoid to allow water through or to stop it right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that thing stopped working right like it it would only let water through at a trickle like an old man um (laughs) Oh, I see. This is like my my late father used to say, why would you buy electric locks for the car? It's just another thing to break. Yeah. I mean, when they installed this thing, they said, yeah, the solenoid tends to eventually go bad or get clogged with sediment or whatever. But it's not even that old. It's like three, two or three years old. Um, But what I said when it was installed, I'm like, okay, but if the solenoid goes bad, I can just bypass it, right? And it's like, yeah, it's really easy. So sure enough, when the solenoid went bad, I took it out, I bypassed it. It's fine. But then we learned that everybody in the house is constantly tapping (laughs) <laughs> the faucet and nothing happens so it's like yeah you can bypass right. it's become it, like but... a light switch where it's like you just think that's this should just work yeah and now we're just ruined for forever <laughs> because because there is there are, there are multiple advantages to touch... the curse of convenience yeah, yeah the multiple advantages to touch faucets um you know so first of all it is actually reliable it does like you touch it and it turns on you touch it and it turns off it's no it's not weird there's no false positives you don't have to do it in a weird way it really does work okay when it's working when the solenoid's working the second thing is uh, having the touch on off means that you can set the temperature to what you want with the little, you know, single knobby thing and mm-hmm. then leave it there. Oh, and then you wow. can just touch on, touch off, touch on, touch off, and you never have to readjust the temperature, which is great oh, for man. not wasting water. If you're washing something and you need to go across the kitchen to grab another dish, tap off, grab dish, come back, tap on. Exactly mm-hmm. the same temperature as it was before. It's great. Uh, and then the final thing is tapping is way easier to do than grabbing a handle i'm con- and it's, it's like a u-shape or like a an upside down j-shaped faucet yeah i whack the underside of the j with like the back of my <laughs> finger so i'm not using my like my mucky hands that are cleaning dishes or my soapy hands or whatever i'm using like, like a surgeon you know we see the surgeon use like the weird parts of their body to turn the water on and off yeah, yeah they're like they're like turning off stuff with elbows yeah you know? i'm wh- i'm whacking the underside of the thing really quickly and thoughtlessly with with the back of my fingers and i just do it as a reflex i bet that looks really cool it does not look cool, but it is super huh. convenient. So, mm-hmm. so well, it's broke. I mean, like you're skipping over the biggest one, which is like, uh, you know, I'm no Howard Hughes. I don't. I mean, you, would you touch a urinal if you could avoid it? I mean, no. I, I hope my sink is cleaner than that. But yeah, it well, is also it does have a cleanliness advantage because you're not grabbing the handle with your mucky hands. It, that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, what is the one thing that's guaranteed about every person who's ever touched that handle? They had dirty hands. Like when I go to the movies and I, and I spend a penny in the middle of a PG-13 movie, woof, 
I really don't want to be touching. I don't want to touch myself if I'm being honest, but I really don't. I don't want to touch a movie theater tap. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm not so much worried about the germs at home, but anyway, the convenience was too much. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up <laughs> how much it is to replace the little solenoid box and it was a lot of money. But then I remembered that it's a Delta faucet and they supposedly have good warranty. And I'm like, well, let me look up when I bought this thing. And is it still under warranty? And I read the legalese and I couldn't tell because it's like guaranteed parks, worksmanship, electronics, all had different caveats about them. So I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to call them. I call them up. <laughs> they ask who, what, uh, what my name is. I tell them my name and they say, oh, it looks like you have the blah, blah, blah faucet. I'm like, how do you know that? But I don't, maybe I registered it. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I probably registered because that's the thing I do. I do register stuff. I know. I so know. they said, you have the so-and-so faucet. Is that correct? I'm like, yeah. Um, and they said, okay, well, what's the problem? It says here your son's not using it. Yeah, right. <laughs> they said, what's the problem? And I said, I explained the problem to them. Uh, and they said, oh, okay, we'll just send you a new one of those things. See, I love that. And when that, I see it was, things... It was like a five-minute conversation. It was shorter than that. You can't put a price on that or a value on that. I was, um, I, I've become a fan of those LED... Would you, would you have a name for these, right? Not the boob light, but the LED like array of lights powered by solar for outside lights which are a, a, a frequently uh, advertised thing on cable news. And I saw this one. It was, it was, I, I really don't even good. know what you're talking about. Send me a link, please. Okay. I'll show you the one I have. In- Is that something I need to own a TV to know about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I'm going to have cable. to watch cable news to know about. I can yep, say yep, that. Yep, you will not, you will, <laughs> you will not know about it. Um, there's a name for these bug lights, eye lights. That's, but they're, um, I'll find it here in my history. Patriot basically, lights. Huh? Well, you're watching, depends on what cable news you're watching, I guess. Would you say A-trees? Patriot lights. Oh, yeah, freedom lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but the basic idea is you've got the uh, the solar collector, and then that's attached to these little you know squares or rectangles of LED lights, and it juices up the best it can during the day. And then you have settings you know, for, do you want it to stay on all the time? No, we don't get enough sunlight here for that to work. Anyway, the point being that the commercial, I'll send it to you, you want to find it. But the commercial for this, I thought it was, you know, pretty effective, you know, for, for what the commercial is. Um, and they're advertising it. And then they go in this whole thing. has an extended 10-year warranty. And, and when you were describing, like, all the different codicils for each piece, like, mm. electronic has different coverage. And, I mean, I don't – tell me if I'm exaggerating. But if you actually go and read any of those warranties, guarantees, whatever it is, like, it's – they're just full of holes where the coverage is so odd, but it's so funny to me that you could have all this stuff that's the equivalent of like a, a, a junior sized EULA. Um, but then you still get to just call it a warranty. Like all, like they're all created equal. Like you're just going to walk up to a window that says warranty and they give you a new faucet. So when that, when you get service like that, that is, that is a very good thing. Yeah. And the, the, the legalese is always like guaranteed against defects in workmanship. And it's like they basically to say, look, if we sent it to you from the factory with something screwed up, our bad, but anything else, it's on you. But I had heard, oh, from, other, totally. heard from other people that Delta is actually pretty good about this. They didn't even add. I mean, obviously, they knew when I bought it, but I don't think I was still under warranty. But they were just, oh, here's the other thing. Here's here's the big clue. I forgot. almost forgot about this part. I would have if, if anything else on the sink had what? been changed, it wouldn't be. I, I almost kicked myself that I forgot about this. So I call I call the number. It's yeah. a little bit of a struggle to find the number. You can find the phone number on the website if you're, if you're determined. I call mm-hmm. the number. First choice in the phone tree. Do you have a residential fixture or commercial? Okay, whatever. You know, it's a residential. So residential. That's taken over Mac or PC as my favorite dumb question. I mean, whatever. Fair enough. Big phone tree, right? 
Second well, question. Of course, I know whether to send you to Enterprise. Yeah, well, yeah. Care? Commercial, probably, they have different product service. I go through residential. Second question. Can you guess the second question? Mac or PC? Do you have a touch faucet? Second oh, question. that is telling, second my friend. question. So I have a feeling that uh-huh. they're having some difficulties with the solenoid mechanism in their touch uh-huh. faucets because it's the same mechanism, but this is the same mechanism that's used in their voice things too it's the same box like it's got an uh-huh. ethernet port inside uh, on the side of it that i'm not using because i don't have presumably the like the voice box that connects to that and this is like version you know 3.3.0 of this box so they've been iterating on this box when the second choice in your phone tree after residential or commercial is you don't happen to have a touch faucet do you that's a bad sign because delta sells a lot of stuff <laughs> they've got a dedicated branch on the tree yeah, seriously and, it, and it's the second <laughs> branch so yeah. that person who who gave me like, who said it's for, even before do you want to hear this in espanol <laughs> the, the per, that person who said they're going to send me a, a new one for free done and done they didn't even have to ask me my address i said we'll just send you a new one of those okay i'm sending it out now anything else nope bye that's pretty cool. So, yeah. I, and my, like my wife said, well, that's great. But if you call when we call back when this breaks again in three years, is it going to be as easy? So I'll keep you posted on that. Okay. Well, uh, we'll put it in follow up. Um, yeah. Our simple human can. Simple human cans are pretty good. <laughs> I, I got mobbed up. What? <laughs> I know what that is. I know. I'm familiar I know, with it. The, just, it does sound I'm a familiar silly. with the brand, but I just keep simple thinking human. of the. Uh, uh-huh. the simple. It sounds like an insult from a robot. No, it sounds like the. It reminds me of that uh, old Daily Show episode where they got the guy who came up with death tax. You know, that guy comes up with the names for things. Oh, the right. Names. Like, like a right right wing. Um, right. Like how to make something sound marketable even when it's a terrible idea. Um, and the, uh, at, on the Daily Show, they said, OK, we're going to give you a test to see how good you are at coming up with, uh, you know, putting a good name on something that's terrible. And they said, uh, try to give a name for this hufu, which is tofu made to to look and feel like human flesh for people who <laughs> for people who want to experience cannibalism but don't want to actually eat a person, right? Uh, and he came up with uh, the taste of good friends. <laughs> and anyway, simple simple um, human trash can is, is like a trash can made for like storing parts of people, but they want to make it sound appealing, so it's the simple yes. human. It's all lowercase, so it's virtually European, mm-hmm. virtually spotless. Yeah, um, I, I got mobbed up with them in the 43 folders days. I'm not sure how, but I think they bought ads and they sent me some free stuff, and I, I did like it. It breaks a lot of my rules. It's basically like if Sony made trash cans. No, I'm familiar with the can. I know what you're talking about. Well, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. So Which for a long have? time, we had the one big hopper, operate it with your foot one. And that one worked fine. But then we, we made a pivot a few years back that was really good for us. You know what? I should put this in the document. Um, the space that you, uh, that you uh, not accommodate, that you set aside for things that need to leave your house, right? Like it used to be you'd have a trash can. And then in time, you'd have a trash can and maybe like a tiny little thing for recycling. You put your little cans in there. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, you maybe get compost. Uh, but compost, at least, like, shoot, my, my wife had taken um, classes on on gardening and composting to, like, you know, do the whole thing in the backyard where you turn it over and all of that. Well, now, San Francisco today, everybody gets three cans. Um, the biggest can for your household is a giant blue, probably 32-gallon recycling can. Uh, we used to have a 32-gallon trash can. Nuh-uh. Oh boy, you would love the usability on this thing. I've got to, I've got to show you how this thing operates. Imagine something that looks like a normal garbage can, but it has like a, I guess you call it a false bottom. It holds maybe, maybe two bags of trash from like a 13 gallon receptacle, right? 
because, you know, we're trying not to put too much trash. But you also then get and, and us and our housemates, well, you know, the people who live in a different flat, same house, we share a compost. So at one point we were like, hey, look, let's go all in. Let's get the two hopper, one side, 13 gallons of trash, other side, 13 gallons of, wait for it, compost. And then I started using a blue, blue Fracta Ikea bag for recycling. And we've really, I cannot believe how we've bounced back from this. You're, wait, so the, the Ikea bag for recycling, you're, is, that, is this just in the house you're talking about? This is in the house. So like in okay. our kitchen, we've got a two hopper from Simple Human. Now this one is also a foot stomper and it's got two sides to yeah, it. I see, it. I see it. a dual compartment, rectangular step Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of them uses their size and bags, and the other ones you, oh, you they sell can the come. bags too. Of course they do. That's why it breaks my rule, John. Mm-hmm. This is why. This is why I say it's like Sony. It's like, oh, you want a memory stick for your camera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Well, here's the Sony one. It only works on this. You know, even Sony doesn't <laughs> do that anymore. Well, they used to. I yeah, mean, I back when they had a a literal Sony consumer store at yeah, Metreon. They they, ju- they just dropped memory stick support on their cameras. Like I think I think I think this like year. For everything the Vio. Nothing would work with anything but the other Sony stuff. Anyway, long story short. So, uh, yeah, and then inside we've got the from many years ago. You remember like probably five or ten years ago? I don't know about you, but our recycling became, okay, here's a, like a bin that's, well, I can tell you exactly the size of the bin. The bin is exactly the size that wonderfully a Fracta Ikea bag fits in. Mm-hmm. So that way I don't have to carry a big piece of plastic downstairs because you know how I am with the up and down the steps. Mm-hmm. I just grab that and I go, I go down the steps. But now I was looking at one where I think you can swipe your hand at it, you know, like it, like a Gen 2 uh, Google Hub. Yeah. It, it, it recognizes your hands. But I don't know, you don't man. Need that. You don't need that flapping at you all day. That's solenoids all the way down. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Memberful. You can learn more about Memberful right now by visiting memberful.com slash diffs. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, and it's used by the biggest creators on the web. You can generate sustainable, recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You might have heard us talking about the Relay FM membership program. I sure hope you have. Uh, what you may not know is that Memberful is the platform that we use for that program. Some of you are using it right now. I use it. More on that in a second. They make it super easy to generate uh, that extra revenue stream and deliver bonus content to our members. Uh, I I use Memberful in lots of ways. First of all, I benefit from Memberful because you nice people uh, choose to support what we do here. Uh, but I also uh, use Memberful for lots of other things that I uh, I support. Uh, lots of podcasts and uh, my friend's stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's great to use. Uh, one of my favorite things, it's used by some single person creators who have made it uh, sustainable for them to keep making stuff and putting it out through the support of people like me. And you now, now as for you, maybe you're already producing content, uh, relying on advertising or other means of income, but memberful makes it easy to diversify that income with everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple pay, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more, but it leaves you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. Now, this is a cool thing. You can now send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You could even publish your paid newsletter content to a Memberful-hosted members-only website. Shh, members-only. There's no additional fee when you're signed up for Memberful's pro or premium plans. Plus, you'll save money compared to other popular hosted newsletter platforms. 
So if you're out there making stuff, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. You can get started right now for free. You go to memberful.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. No credit card is required. Memberful.com slash diffs. Go there now. Please check it out. It can be the start of something exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Do you want to say hi to our listener at HBO? Our listener, singular? I don't know. Did you see that nice note from the person who said they listened? They passed I around? I think they've spoken to us before. It makes me feel bad because I'm so happy. It made me feel bad because I felt like I did a poor job of articulating anything constructive. That's why I'm really doubling down on this blog post that I'm really, really going to do. Well, and per the pre flight, just to give you a little, little look behind the curtain, and I'm sorry, once again, I did not write this down. Thank you, nice person who passed around. We'll find it for notes, put the tweet in notes. But thank you for sharing that with your team. I hope they're not too angry with us. Um, and so, so uh, I had proposed last week that we do a streaming app showdown. And, and you're going to write a post about this because you don't want to be involved with me. I understand completely. I'm going to be involved. You're going to do a podcast with you about it eventually. Yeah, but like, you know, you're involved, but I'm committed. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's a chicken and the pig mm-hmm. type situation. Um, but um, you know what's funny? It's like, so so anyway, and John and I had had kibitzed about this a little bit earlier today. And I said, I think I need more time for the streaming app showdown because I created, started with a database and then stripped mm-hmm. it down to a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I've got all of my, my scoring on all of these different factors in each of the apps with plus or minus one to 10. I could probably do. You got to watch you know, out for that artistic expression score. It can really, really hurt you. Well, you really, you really want to nail that landing. You know what I'm saying? Get, get some, get some good height. How about those uh, Slovenians? Those girls are amazing. Um, and so I'm working on that. You know, I, 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 spoiler so far, I, I'm not nearly done with this because I want to, I have a lot to say about this, but HBO does have some good stuff. They got good hubs and they got the jumpy backy start over button, which Apple should totally have. Anyway, we'll talk about it next time. Two weeks, two weeks time, as you say, a fortnight's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to know about my sleep? Nothing. We're not doing sleep this week. Oh, yeah, we, we didn't talk about it in the pre-flight. That's right. Okay. Um, we're talking about spaces? Talking about space. The final space, frontier. Space, space is the place. Do you subscribe to Criterion? I do not. Okay. Um, uh, there's a really good um, Afrofuturism series on Criterion right now. And as ever, I, I don't. I rarely watch movies on Criterion. I mainly watch documentaries about movies. And the trailers. Criterion. Don't forget the trailers. The trailers and the documentary... Like when they, they, like the introduction to, we don't say Czech New Wave because it's Czechs and Slovaks, but the intro to Czech New Wave is probably the same thing that got Elliot Kalin into it as me. Enchanting. Afrofuturism, short piece, amazing. New York stories you would love. Just a whole bunch of uh, movies in New York. Apparently it's a place where lots of movies were made. Mm-hmm. Afrofuturism, space is the place. So we're here to talk about spaces. Now, as ever, I hope this is not your first episode of the show. If it is, welcome, and I'm sorry. A thing that John and I have talked about from just about every angle for years now is all these different slightly bitchy aspects of space in the house. Specifically, I think it started out as you and me jibing about, oh, like in your case, you just want, all you really want is a place to put your iPhone and charge it, but then stuff gets in that area. I was talking about, I've talked about this a lot, this is what led to this. What are the different kinds of areas in our house, the different spaces, if you like? And in working on the wisdom project, I realized that this is not a wisdom, 
but it's a something which is trying to philosophize and operationalize a way. And again, I'm not here to bitch. This is not a bitching thing. I'm in fact, I'm about to, I'm going to get, I'm going to get hoist by my own petard because there's a lot of stuff where I'm going to realize publicly in a minute that I've been kind of a about it. But the idea is, is there, I want to talk to you, John Syracusa, about how you, if you have anything like a philosophy of space in the house, um, I have a little bit more on this, but jump in. We're going to talk about space. Thinking about that, I know you've talked about this on some other shows, and obviously we talked about a ton. On I'll be here, talking about this till the day I well. die, till the day I die, and I'm going to die in an active working area. Yeah, when I hear mm-hmm. you talk about it, some sometimes I start musing about uh, like <laughs> what what's the problem with space? Like why what what's the you know, there's obviously some sort of issue or problem here. What is what does it stem from? Why do we talk about space in our lives at all as a, a thing that we're, you know, gnashing our teeth about or worrying about or having problems with or whatever? Does that include things like the Marie Kondo-ish, like I have too much stuff, I have too much clutter, that kind of thing as well? Yeah, I mean, so this is kind of the reverse. Because when people when you talk about like the, oh, the clutter and the stuff, that's the reverse of the space. That's stuff that's in this space. But you're talking more about the space itself, regardless of what's there. And you talk about what should be there and shouldn't be there, but there's the space itself. And, I, and at first I thought, like, well, maybe it's just because it's not, a, oh, enough, not enough space because oh, Merlin lives in a small place because he's in a big fancy city and it's not, you know, he doesn't live yeah. in a giant uh, house that's, you know, thousands and thousands of square cool feet. Floors, so yeah. maybe his problem is that he just doesn't have enough space. But I don't think that's it either. I've addressed that in my preparation today. I think it is without respect to how big a place is. Ask yourself, have you ever met anybody with an empty closet? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think it's not space limited. But then I thought to myself, I'm like, well, it's not like I don't have enough space. There's, pl- there's only four people in this house. It's a plenty big house for four people. It's not yeah. like, so that's, it's not, and I, the best I can come up with is that, like, it's not that, that, uh, that space is a scarce resource in the way that people think of it. And, and they're like, oh, the problem is you don't have enough space. And if you had more space, you wouldn't be worrying about it. It's that valuable space is scarce and what makes space right. valuable is the, the real the real beachfront property of a given home. yeah is is how the space connects like it doesn't matter how big your kitchen is in fact at a certain point if you make your kitchen 100 yards in either direction that's a not a useful kitchen there's a there's a rule of thumb we learned in drafting class did you ever study that where there's a triangle mm-hmm. between uh, do you know about this yep home improvement shows talk about or they used to talk about all the time back in the day oh yeah okay so we learned i learned this in eighth grade um in drafting class which is that i i want to say 21 feet seems too large, but there is a notional triangle in most typical kitchens that has, you know, it's a triangle. It's got three points, three sides. And it's the oven, the refrigerator, and the sink, roughly. And to be usable for most people, at least the conventional wisdom in 1981, was that that needs to be, it, it, it would be nice if it was bigger than this amount, but it mustn't be bigger than that amount. Like if you've got, if the three sides of your triangle add up to 60 feet, that that may not be an optimally effective kitchen for one person, a non-team to cook in because there's just too many steps and you end up looking like, you know, uh, you know, Pam and Tommy. Yeah, and that's where there a lot of our discussions about space comes up. It's the the valuable space. The valuable space is within that triangle. You could have tons yeah. of space outside that triangle, but that space is not valuable. So you're not going to have a, a knockdown drag out fight over someone putting their dirty dishes in some space that's 50 yards away from you because it's not within the triangle. But the valuable space, like the counter that's next to the sink. That is way yes. more valuable than the counter that's all the way on the other side. Well, there's and there's probably a reason your phone space keeps getting usurped. Well, first of all, they may feel like you're usurping. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a battle for the quote-unquote 
most valuable space. Well, like a coat rack. Like we lived for years without a coat rack. And then at one point we got a coat rack. And as uh, spoilers, it is my, my, the most, one of the most basic parts of my theory that I would like to introduce to you is that left to its own devices, almost every area in your house will, will want to turn into storage, whether or not that is the best use of that area. I will further stipulate, much to some people's frustration, that that is the least muscular use of your house. Is the more of your house that's used for storage and the less of it that's used for activity, just look into it. Make sure that's what you wanted. But so, and I, I'm not against talking about aesthetics, but I'm setting aesthetics aside just a little bit for a minute because I mean, somebody like my, my, my old housemate, Dennis, yeah, like this counter can never have anything on it. That was partly aesthetic, but that aesthetics, that aesthetic reflected practicality, which is, I know Merlin, that if you put the mail down there one Tuesday, by the next Tuesday, that's now going to be the mail counter, right? And now what does that become? It's become storage and it's not muscular. But, but I think you're right. I like the way you're putting it, though. Like, that coat rack seemed like a great idea. When you get a coat rack, you bring it into your house. It's like a new house with a new closet. And it's just a world of possibilities. Space means possibilities. It's decisions that can still be made. It's priority. I'm going to do the Marco thing here. and I'm trying to avoid that. It's deciding what your priority for an area is. So I'm going to throw it back to you in a second. I just want to, I do want to give credit. I will put this in notes. Um, I now have three books in my Pantheon. Um, Getting Things Done by David Allen, uh, The Body Keeps the Score uh, by uh, Van der Kolk, and It's All Too Much by Peter Walsh, which is what's germane here. Each one of those books has fundamentally changed my thinking about something that I thought I understood, and it took reading that book to realize how much I got it wrong. If you ever, if you ever thought your solution to a problem involved going to the container store to buy something plastic, you need to read It's All Too Much. So there's a lot of incredibly useful stuff in this book. Um, Peter Walsh is a cable TV guy from Australia, but he has wonderful, uh, wonderful insight in rethinking your relationship, especially your weird emotional relationship with the stuff in your life. But I mean, again, as with getting things done, people don't understand the weekly review is kind of the linchpin of getting things done and nobody ever does it. In this instance, the plan for your house that you develop once you've gotten your mind right about whether you really need to keep all those cool cat glasses from Arby's because they're so valuable. Once you get your mind right, you know what you do? You say, well, what is this room called? This room is called our main bedroom. What happens there? Well, right now, laundry, kids playing. Okay, well, if you had your druthers and you could start over, tell me how you would use that space if you could start over. Notice what I'm not doing here. What I'm not doing here. Oh, so the other thing. So I'm going to link to this book and I'm going to link to a discussion of this on Back to Work that was the Basically, the I'll give you a timestamp, listener, for where you can see where this conversation comes from, um, most directly from a November episode of Back to Work. But you, when you rethink that, when you say, okay, I have a really strange relationship, a strangely emotional relationship with stuff, right? And as somebody who, with some shame, watches Hoarders on YouTube sometimes, um, you can really see it. And you can see people having every reason in the world why they live the way that they do. And in the case of hoarding, and I have it in my family, I have a little of it myself. I'm ridiculously sympathetic. I'm sometimes really struck with how insensitive people are to like how a hoarder actually thinks because yelling at them (laughs) does not help. But imagine if you got so, your mind got so right that you could say, what's the life that I would like to have? Okay. 
another example he gives that I can't get away from. There was a time in my life, as we talked about, John, um, when I weighed 140 pounds, and my I was a I was a 28 32, 28 waist, 32 inseam. Now, I could that might start with this today. I say like, oh, I still keep these jeans around. Why? Well, because I really hope I can fit into them. Huh? They're just jeans. Yeah, but like they're still good. Okay, but they're still good for what? Like turning into a throw pillow? What are you going to do with a 28 waist when you're currently a 35 waist? That's nuts. Well, it makes sense in your head. All that stuff you keep, if you are working on ways to store stuff that you have not realized is garbage, let's go back to inbox zero. You know, organizing your email is like alphabetizing your recycling. The, it's so important before you think about how you're going to store something, where you're going to store something, you need to think about like what role it has in your future. Like, right? I don't know. Like, I just, I can't emphasize that enough. And, uh, and so for me, in the last few months, trying to clean up my office, I'm just encountering these insane boxes. I said to Dan, it's like I opened sarcophagus after sarcophagus of thermal fax paper and, and Polaroid film and all this stuff that I just keep moving to different places. I put it in a new box, put new marker on the outside, and I'm spending all of this money. And not that the money is the most important part, but in my life, at my office, at my house, I, I'm spending money to warehouse a past that's been over for years without giving it any honor or specialness. So that's why I mentioned the Peter Walsh book. If you struggle with this at all, well, or if the people in your life think you struggle with it, please check that book out. It will be incredibly helpful to you. But that's that's what I want to get my mind right about. If I have my druthers with the spaces in the house, and you know, obviously took into account whatever my family, everybody in my family wants and needs, how would you re-envision? your spaces based on the factors of activity as an active work, active or active life, like activity um, and the future. Like how do you turn this into like a weird Indiana Jones warehouse into a place that you're, you're not only not embarrassed to have people over, but where you see a future unwinding because of how you've chosen to treat your spaces. You mentioned uh, the coat rack a while back. I think that uh, ties together the two the two things we were talking about. Can't fit, you cannot fit another mask on there right now. There are so many things. There's so many. John, there's five coats on every coat. Yeah, and also that's exactly it. So it's the uh, it's the idea that uh, that uh, the places eventually become storage if you're not careful, which is the phenomenon that happens with the coat rack, and also the valuable real estate. Because in our house, we have a coat rack, and it is on some extremely valuable real estate right next to the front door. Because hey. You're going in, mm -hmm. you're coming out. The coat rack is right there. So you got a wet coat on or you're on your way out the door. You need your coat. It is in prime real estate, right? And, mm -hmm. and then there's contention for that spot. But like you said, if you put it there and you're so excited to have a coat rack and you hang your coats on it, it does eventually become storage. And it's exactly the phenomenon you said. One coat. How many coats do you think you can fit on one hook of a coat rack? All the coats until it breaks. Until out of the corner of my eye, it looks like um, like there's a Baba Duke with the freshman 15 standing in the hall. So, so there's two phenomenon that happen with putting multiple coats on this. Because coat racks have, you know, think of it like a long <laughs> you, stick with a bunch of- You can't excess anything but the top coat. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's hard to get at anything except for the top coat. But the second thing is, as you layer on the coats, especially winter coats, sort of the, the hookiness of the hook that it's on gets smoothed out by each subsequent coat until eventually a coat will not stay on it because it is a round dome that the coat just slides off. You know, it stops being a hook. You can't 
latch. <laughs> it stops being hooked. You can't, you can't get the... And okay. this, it turns into more like a shepherd's crook. Yeah. It goes from a hook to a crook. And that when that happens, that's usually my sign to say, wait a second, how many coats... That's when you find out, for example, that... Uh, you know, in the middle of the winter, all of your spring coats are at, l- at layer 37 of this cake, right? Like that they're still in mm-hmm. there. All the spring coats are still under there, making the hooks rounded over to the point where they can't hold. You put your winter coat on, it just slips off, right? So then you, you say, okay, we got to fix that's, this. That's so the you, coat rack fighting back. Yeah. So then you've got to strip everything off the coat rack, take the spring coats, put them away until the spring. And now suddenly the winter ones, there's so much room for the winter ones, right? Because it had become storage. You were storing your spring coats on the on the, on the coat rack underneath the winter coats and the second thing and this is just our problem in our house second thing is our coat rack it's by the front door and we have like a little alcove kind of thing in the front door so there's Mm -hmm. a little corner by the front door where the coat rack is um which is not that convenient because then you can't really put coats like around the back of the coat rack because they're kind of in the corner but anyway i seem to remember you having a problem with your coat rack i don't remember what it is i'm gonna tell you in a second um what happens is because it's in the corner when people hang up their coats, the most valuable real estate of the <gasps> coat rack are the hooks that are away from the corner. It's all in the one hemisphere. Exactly. And then what yes. happens? It's all fine until someone puts on the, now, the, now your the, hook the, is the a coat crook. that broke the camel's yes. back and Ugh. the thing tips over. And when it tips over, you're like, well, what do you care? It's a coat rack. It's it's made of fake wood. Uh, and it when, <laughs> when it tips over, it probably just falls harmlessly to the ground. No, it does not fall harmlessly to the ground. What happens is the weight of the coat pulls the coat it's rack gonna, down. It's going to nick your nice door. Well, no, it pulls the coat rack down. And mm-hmm. then what happens is the coat rack rocks. It hits the ground and it rocks so that the little foot goes up into the air. And then that foot slams back down and cracks off one of the three legs <laughs> because it's made of like, uh, you know, compressed sawdust and glue, like yeah, the fake yeah, wood. Yeah. Right? MDF, yeah. And so for the longest time, when the, especially when the kids were younger, we were, they were constantly knocking over the coat rack. Either we would do it or the kids would do it. Uh, and especially it's like even when adults do it, they hang the coat on and you don't notice you've put on the coat that broke the camel's back and you walk away. It's yeah. just tipping and then putching and then it would, it, would, it would break so easily. And so we bought like 50 of these things. Our Ugh. current one is not entirely broken, but it's almost broken. But yeah, that's that's an example of valuable mm-hmm. real estate turning into storage if you're not careful. And so we have to constantly mind it and say, has this become storage? Are we storing every coat we own on here? But when each of us only uses one coat per day, there should be four coats in this rack. There's four people in the house. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and this actually relates to something we've been talking about on Back to Work and Do by Friday, which is why does Merlin like task paper so much? Short version, I mean, it's very portable. It's very easy. One reason I really like task paper is because of its constraints. If I'm doing anything to extend the functionality of task paper, I'm using it wrong because I chose to use task paper because it will not let me fiddle. It will not let me get too cute about it. And I feel like that's the same thing here. You almost you want to have constraints. Sometimes that constraint is, well, mom cleans the, cleans the house twice a week or whatever, or Juanita or whoever. Somebody's going to have to go run around and tidy everything up and pick up the coat rack. Um, but this actually does lead to a very silly paper prototype that exists, like all paper prototypes exist to be looked at, laughed at, and thrown away. But the closest thing I've, and again, I'll just, just be clear here. Like, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a big bitching session, although that certainly will come up, but things like the kill zone at our house, kill zone being the very tiny little square area that barely accommodates the inward opening of a door at the bottom of a flight of stairs. I call it the kill zone because I'm pretty sure that's where I'll die. And you've, I've sent you videos of me trying to navigate through the kill zone when I got a little cute. And I thought, oh, I can do this with a backpack and carrying toilet paper in sweatpants with my phone in the pocket. 
So then, then you're, pretty soon you can't get the door open, your pants fall down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Free show, free show. Um, here's what I here's what I have have on this, and it's just this is just to throw away two quick bits from the wisdom document. Without active care and curation, any area in your home will tend to become quote unquote storage related. Storage, now this is where it gets controversial. Related, and this is my opinion, it's my document, there are many like it. Related, storage is the least muscular or affirmative use of space in your life. Live and active areas represent future possibility. Storage is an emotionally costly way of warehousing your past. And there are a lot of people who disagree about that, which is fine. But What do you mean by muscular in this context? Use that word a couple times so far. Well, I think of muscular, I hope I don't mean if that comes across ableist, I don't mean it that way, but I do mean very much in the sense of like, is your house some well, your house, your space. But well for 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 just for ease of usage, let's just say your house. So your house, has it become this is a little bit Yakov Smirnoff, is your house something that you are uh curating to serve the life that you want? Or is your house mostly pushing you around with what it's turned into or is turning into. And, and just real, real quick in passing, one problem of the numerous problems with all the Marie Kondo and the dump runs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's like throwing out potato chips, but you know you're going to buy more potato chips. To, to, you have to change the way you think. Your cognition has to change in order to get better at this stuff. And some, for some people, that can mean of, you, know, you eventually get to what is the life that I would like to have for me and my family. Oh, I don't deserve that. I have a mortgage. I work. Uh, you know, okay, fine. Like, whatever. But, like, the muscularity to me means um, my house and I are going to be partners in this, but it's going to serve what my family and I need rather than me feeling like I have to accommodate the house's needs. So if the house has become so somehow, not because of me, somehow the house is now full of like what, cereal boxes and cat poop? Oh boy, I guess I better get organized. I better organize the cereal boxes. Okay. Or you could throw out the cereal boxes. You could throw out the cat poop. You could decide that this is a house. The muscularity is I have decided that in my partnership with this space, it's we're going to work together on a, on a future. And that's why I feel like, and, and you already probably feel this slipping in, uh, the hoarder in me, which is like, how many times have I moved, John? I used to move four or five times a year when I was in college. I still have, I still have at least a couple boxes that are, it's the box of Theseus in some ways, but boxes that are essentially the box that I put tape on in 1986. It just gets different marker and different piles and you put it in a new fancy new banker's box. Am I better now? No, I've just, all I've done is alphabetize my recycling. You know, every two or three years we do a purge and a clean and then we get new shelves to put it on. And it's like, what am I doing? Muscularity is a way of saying, um, and you don't have to become, you know, the notional Steve Jobs here or the notional Marie Kondo. I just think it's very interesting to say if I, if my home were going to support the life that I want, are there ways that I could make the areas more active and muscular and where I could put less of a premium on the demon dogs that tell me uh, to get better at warehousing. Does that make sense, muscular? Yeah, I think there's a, one of the difficulties with this whole topic is that it's kind of a slow-moving disaster. Like what you were saying before, of, oh, if you if you do something where you like, you see that there's a problem and you like fix it, I'm going to go all Marie Kondo and get rid of the things that don't spark joy and do all this stuff. And then you feel like, 
look what look at the improvement I've made. Like before it was like this and now it's like this and it's better now. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't changed the way you live, you will slowly, and that's the killer part, slowly go back to the way it was before. And for some people that slowly can be okay. Well, but if I only have to do this once every 10 years, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to change the way I live. What I'm going to do is right. I'm going I'm to live. Hey, I didn't get evicted. I must have yeah, done it I'm gonna, right. I'm going to live the way I was before, which will eventually cause my house to be choked with stuff. And then every five to 10 years, I will do a big purge, like you said, and reset the clock. And that's better than not doing the purge and just <laughs> allowing it to build up forever. But no, you you get it but, exactly. Yeah. But but if you don't actually change the way you live, you are inevitably doomed to you know travel down that same road again. Yeah. If you don't if you don't change, I mean, I have this array, and again, this needs to be documented somewhere. I have this array that I refer to a lot because it's become very meaningful to me, which is that like when we think about change and improvement in our lives, um, a lot of times that does come down to action. Like, what did you do? differently. Well, you know, and, and forgive me for walking over all this again, but it's important to me. Like before I can ever do anything differently, I have to decide differently. Before I decide differently, I have to think differently. And before I think differently, I have to, in some cases, see differently. So I think people think those are easy enough steps to skip because they all, you know, they all have verbs. And so, oh, oh I just want to go, give me, give me, get to the tips and tricks. Get to the tips. What's the good part? Well, oh, I say, thank you for your service. And I take it to the goodwill. Okay. Well, again, I've seen enough hoarders to know, or I've seen enough for that matter, enough Gordon Ramsay to know that like people are who they are unless they change that stack. And it's not something you can just do overnight. And for damn sure, it's not something you can do with a trip to the mall and going to the container store. I hate to beat up on container store. They have really cool stuff. But, but you know, whenever you feel that impulse to organize before you've culled, that's, that's a red flag. And this is why, amongst my much of my crazy advice, I mean, it's good to like say, okay, here's where my main USB cables live. That's cool. Like for me, like I keep things in Ziploc bags that are that are marked, and it makes it pretty easy mostly. Uh, in passing, I will note there is a difference between being organized and being tidy. I'm very organized, but I'm not very tidy. And boy, is that ever a mix. That's just a different kind of hoarding title. Um, but but what I'm saying here is like I feel like to really understand your USB cables, you have to make a concerted effort to find every cable in your house and put it in one pile. You have to experience a pile of cable. And sure, there's SCSI 25, SCSI 50s, USB Cs, USB Bs, like whatever. You put them all in this one area and then throw out almost all of them. But what if I need that someday? What if you do? I mean, are you really, is the whole system going to collapse if you don't have a way to hook up your, your Blu-ray to your Mac with a USB type B? Well, okay, keep one. But like, how many micro and mini USBs do you have? I mean, maybe not you, but like, I can tell you, I've spent a lot of my life trying to get more organized with my US, USB minis, and I don't need them. Like, keep one, keep two. Do I, do I need every pair of iPod headphones, uh, AirPods, what, you know, you know what they're called, the earbuds? Do I need every pair of those that I've ever gotten? No. You know what's smart? Here's a tip. Put one of those in a bag. Like, have one extra set of small headphones, old AirPods, whatever. Have one for travel in case you lose your current ones. That's fine. But when you find yourself hoarding five of something and you're not an IT manager, that's worth looking at. And that, that and Peter Walsh will walk you through this in a way that is very revealing. You know, do you keep every drawing your kid ever did? 
You know, if that's so special, why is it in a garbage bag downstairs? Did you go look on eBay to see what that cool cat glass is worth? Because you're forsaking a future of your own design by choosing to live in a past that's not what you think it is and maybe was never what you thought it was. And that takes an astonishing amount of courage. So are we talking about tidying up your house? Kind of. What we're really talking about is like, how do you, how do you better inhabit a space that affords your family's future? This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Instabug. You can learn more about Instabug right now by visiting try.instabug.com slash diffs. Building mobile apps presents some challenges, as a lot of you know. Bugs, crashes, and performance issues can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you could not only detect all of these issues, but you could also get a holistic understanding of the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Well, Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all the insights that you need to build top-quality apps through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback. And that's all just in one SDK. With Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your app as perceived by your users. You can empower your users to report issues and ask questions seamlessly right from inside your app. And you're going to get all the information you need about bugs, crashes, and other issues. And you're going to get them fixed in record time, all with a focus on privacy and security. I love that. You don't need to worry about the hassle of switching to a new tool. It only takes a minute to integrate Instabug into your app. And it fits right within your workflow. It has support for Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk, and over 10 other popular tools. Pretty great. So, uh, you know, right now you go and you join over 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship high-quality apps. All you got to do, you go to try.instabug.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You go there. Just just go check it out. Try.instabug.com slash diffs. Hey, you know what? Our thanks to Instabug for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. We're uh, shopping for new furniture uh, to try to make another home office because this is part of the uh, part of the problem with uh, the whole working from home thing when you mm. have uh, multiple people who work is two people can't really work from home in the same room if they're both on like Zoom calls all day. My lady's on Zoom calls all day. Right. And you can't really have someone else in the same room on a Zoom call for their job. Which no, is so it's before my, my bedroom turns into an office at 7.55 a.m. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that is. A so space what will you, but... what, where will you affect that additional office space uh, do you think? The, the theory is we're going to do in the basement which is going to be a fun uh tile, oh, tile puzzle mm-hmm. yeah exactly but uh I bring up this topic because when we were we were shopping for a desk uh this will be for my wife uh, and we're sitting at her current upstairs desk that's in the same room as my uh, desk that i'm at right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and she's picking out sizes of a desk and thinking about accessories that can go on the desk and i'm of course, uh, discouraging her from buying more things to take up space on the top of her desk. Just leave your desk empty to start and just put things on there as you need it. Don't pre-buy a bunch of stuff. It's right. like, well, I'm not going to have that much stuff on my desk. And I said, <laughs> I said to her, can you uh, look at the desk that we're sitting in front of right now? Past this prologue, my friend. I wanted to give her like, just like <laughs> a new a, desk is not a new life. It's like great. an out of body experience. <laughs> like if you could float above your own body right now and look oh, down, look down from above the desk we're both sitting in front why, of. Why would tomorrow be any different unless you changed a lot of stuff? Right. Because if you look at this desk, this desk is your desk and you control mm-hmm. it entirely and every square inch of it is covered. 
every square inch. And I was like, what makes you think this is not going to eventually happen to your desk downstairs? And if you don't want it to happen to your desk downstairs, you're going to have to change something about how you deal with desk. Yeah, <laughs> because I agree. Because like, the, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to be tightly wound or have a minimalist no, desk. All, if the system works for you, that's okay. But I would also say, just as 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 your pal to to your lady friend, like that's a nice fresh start to give yourself. In the same way that I think, you know, like I say, when you clean out a drawer, I think it's a good idea, like a, like a, a high volume. Act, I'll, I'll explain in a minute what I mean by active working area um, for the new folks. But like, you know, if this is like where the stuff you use all the time is. Right, like the um, the spatula, the tongs for us, things like that. Like I will just periodically purge that, and the way that I purge that is I grab everything out of that drawer, stick it in a banker's box, and you have to use any of those items. You have to go get them from the banker's box. That drawer is now empty, and anytime, only when you've used something twice, is it allowed to live in the drawer again. Now that used to be once you use it once, but now I mean. But that means at Christmas time, you're going to have like, I don't know what, like a, a candy cane holder because you used it once. No. Or like the big cast iron uh, thing for squashing down burgers. That three pound piece of cast iron does not need to be in that drawer covering up the spatula. As, as I like to say, I think almost everything I do in the house and in my life, I would like to be able to do in the dark with one hand. I never want to have to wonder where the sharp things are. I never, I should be able to grab a plate without moving anything. I should be able to grab a spring coat without having to move a winter coat. And if I can't do that, then I'm, I'm not living right, you know? And in her case, so, and so she is, she still goes to the office though, right? Yeah, it depends on what she's doing at work, whether she's able to work at home or not, whether she's allowed to for the thing that she's working on. But she has meetings. She's doing worky work stuff. It's not just yeah. some like... I mean, but even at home, like her desk, she does all of our like financial filing stuff. So she has kind of like a system in terms of filing. But the thing is other... Like there's valuable real estate on her desk. The valuable real... She has a keyboard tray just like me. And the most valuable real estate is like the front edge of the desk that's between her and the, the monitor or the Mac that she's in front of. Because that's like right in front of you, Right. And she's got, you know, a full desk for herself. So she's got the full width of the desk uh, and the real estate that is the front edge of the full width of the desk. And that real estate gets invaded by things that are like stored env- there. Envelopes, mail. No, but that's, that's the system. You should have like a stack of bills, stop of this. Or, but the things that get invaded are like random crap that she just puts down there because she happened to be walking by the desk and had it there. Or like, like things that are not part of the of the work. That are just like, oh, let me just put this down on my desk for a second, and then it so gets what what, uh, what Philip K. Dick called Kipple. Yeah, exactly, and it's and that stuff is is crowding out extremely yes. valuable real estate, you know, and not it's definitely not muscular. Like it's not. As no, like, no, like I, it's I mean, not, this is nothing to slag it, on her because I saw I suffer from this probably times ten. I don't buy as much milk as her, but but no, the Kipple the Kipple problem is real, and Kipple attracts more Kipple. That's what makes a Kipple. And, and that's why Dennis Gephardt would say, don't put the mail here. Nothing belongs here. This is, so let me, let me introduce this. Now, here's the thing I want to introduce to you. We don't have to go long on this, but this is what originally, kind of originally, pseudo originally brought me here, was just roughly trying to sketch out these five kinds of areas. This is the paper prototype that I want you to throw out and get, help me get my mind right. I was trying to figure out, because you've heard me use that phrase, John, active working area. And we, we, we kid here, but it's real. Like if they're like the best example I could think of, as I mentioned here and on back to work, if I'm taking a rib roast out of a very hot oven 
and putting it somewhere for a minute before I wrap it in aluminum foil or whatever. That is arguably one of the most active working areas. I guess the, the most active working area is probably either a murder scene or an operating theater. Like if you're, if you're doing some work on somebody's pancreas, I really hope nobody comes in and puts down their iPhone and keys in the person's open torso. It's a junior mint, Jerry. They're delicious. It's, it's a junior mint. They're, they're quite refreshing. That is an extremely active working area. But like the place where I'm about to do stuff with the roast is also, so you know what? Don't put a pan or a thing or a, don't put anything in that area because you ought to know that I am utilizing that area. Active and working, what does that mean? A working area is like a, a place where, where things are, are happening, where you're, you're doing work. The active part means it's not just a working area that I'm going to come back to later, like a desk. A desk is somewhere between what I would call a working area and a holding area. But an active working area to me is the most assertive, the most muscular use in your house, which is like if there's a thing that you're doing right now and it's important to you, like you need to be able to control that area. Uh, maybe you're real cool and you're like, like me and you do your mise en place, right? Mise en place is, is partly holding. So here's my five levels that I want to th- want you to throw out and help me come up with something better. The, the, the top area, and they're kind of organized along axes, but like an active, active working area, you've got a working area, which is like, again, like a desk, a holding area. See, I would say something like obviously mise en place, but that also shades into maybe like spice rack. Holding area to me also can mean that spatula. Well, what's the next level down? That's what I would call storage, basic storage, which is like, I don't need to get to this flower all that often. So it's not right next to the coffee maker, right? You learn how active this area is. And then the stuff that you put there should support that. And then finally, the fifth one, active, active working area, working area, holding storage, deep storage. And I think of that as John's Macintoshes. Like the attic is great. Well, in some ways. Uh, a finish, a finish attic is a good place to put your Macs in a box because you're probably not going to need them, but they're all in one place. You know where they are. And in that case, it sounds like that's not dragging you down. It's not preventing you from having a life that you would like. You're not having to scoop up. Forgive me. I just watched an episode of Hoarders where a guy had 2000 rats in his house, domesticated rats. It's a hell of a hell of an episode. Um, he lost the control of the house. The rats took over. Um, but like, if, if that's not preventing you from, if in fact, let's get back to aesthetics, knowing that your cheese grater is up there in the box with the original manual, that you've got the original Mac manual with the guy, <laughs> memory serves, riding a bike <laughs> with his Mac in a bastic, right? That's, that's all good. But I'm trying to figure out if we were to philosophize and operationalize this in a practical way, if you were going to help me get my head right about spaces, Comment on the idea of these areas. I'll paste it for you. And, and give me your idea. Like, how do you think about the areas in your house, either realistically or uh, notionally for the future? How would you like to look at the areas in your house? And how would you decide that this coat rack should be elevated above storage? I think you could go with a little consolidation. Although, interestingly, uh, the, uh, the active modifier, I, I, in my mind, I would rotate down to the storage side. I would say that you've got like, storage and then active storage and active storage is what you're calling holding right but anyway that's just mostly nomenclature so, i think so that, would that be let's, let's stick with the kitchen unless you got a better one but like so salt shaker what's that 
So I, I'm thinking of like the utens utensil crock is active storage because that's where you store the utensils, but it's active mm -hmm. storage because you're constantly like on a daily basis taking an item out, putting an item in, taking an item out. And important, yes, exactly. Importantly, I'm sorry to beat this to death, but it's people get get with this. You don't have to move anything to grab that spatula. You don't yeah. have to go up and down steps. But, but it definitely is a kind of storage because that's where you're storing the utensils. Otherwise, where would, they would just be strewn about the kitchen. They'd be I on the floor. I think of storage as where I put things that I'm not using and won't use right, right but, now. But anyway, that's just, that's just nomenclature. I think the, the compression is... I Maybe you can explain it to me again, but active working area versus working area, the distinction that it keeps coming to my mind between those two is whatever working area there's a person actually working in is an active working area. But as soon as the person leaves, the area becomes just a working area. Kind of. A desk, you know, uh, what did they say? What does wire say? A bell is a cup until it's struck. Yep. A, um, a, a desk is always a desk is always a desk, as Gertrude Stein said. If you're actively paying bills at that desk, if you're, let's say, actively wrapping Christmas presents... Like the active part of it is the person that there. like a person is there, but it's also that, and I'm trying to keep my ego out of this, but whomever is doing whatever in that working area, the active part means I'm claiming this area for a little while. This working area is going to be, and I, certainly that could be supported by like, you know, those dingling, uh, hoteling ideas. Like this is a desk that's lots of people's desks, but right now, again, the, the deskman's creed, this one is mine. There are others like it, but right now this is my desk. I need to be able to spread out just a little bit here. Um, and really, I mean, I feel like there's analogies to, I think the kitchen might be the best one, but it also goes for stuff like travel. Like think about when you're traveling, what goes in a bag, what doesn't go in a bag, what think about bag in a bag, think about what goes with you on board versus what goes uh, down, you know, in checked luggage versus, oh, I'm going to UPS these Christmas presents that are wrapped. I don't need to carry those on the plane. And now I'm kind of getting into George Carlin territory, but the active part to me means a working area means that like this needs to be ready and in a state where I can get to work w without a lot of fuss, ideally with no fuss. Like, you know, when I leave for the day, I like my desk to be, to be welcoming. Like, then you know, tomorrow when I come in, I, I used to, because I'm addled with ADD, I would do things like put an index card on my chair with the first task that I was going to do that day. And the desk set up to support that kind of a Kanban system. Grab this file, put that back, do this. You know what I mean? Like, the active part just means that I'm, I'm checking this out of the library for a little bit for just me. And that's why, to me, it can be so galling when, and I do it to other people as well. Like, if somebody's, you know, have you ever do this? You're the person, you're the dishwasher, right? Um, and like, you didn't catch all the things that are dishes to be washed. Like, don't you have sort of mixed feelings when somebody brings you, let's say your, your daughter brings you a yogurt bowl and 35 spoons and you're like, oh, I was just, I was just finishing like with doing dishes. I guess in, on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's cool. Thank you for bringing that to me. But on the other hand, it's like, I just successfully cleared this entire area. And now, or like with Marge, when the kitchen door swings open and it goes from immaculate kitchen mm -hmm. to like completely upside down in one door swing, there's something kind of dispiriting about that because the invisible, mostly invisible effort of that thankless work is is completely lost when people just, you know, treat it like a... Uh, middle school cafeteria active working area yeah, so looking at your list again i think here's what i would do i would i would say three items working area holding and storage and then i would say uh storage and working area have hierarchy so a 1a is active working area and and 3a is deep storage okay so, so you're gonna, working if you're gonna do a book you make it three things working area holding and storage 
And then you, um, and then you have working varieties. has active and inactive storage has, what was your first one? Active and deep? No, deep. Well, I, I'm, I'm leaving your nomenclature. I'm saying storage has deep storage as the, as the uh, one variant of storage. If you can think of other variants of it, you can do a hierarchy underneath it. I'm saying top level three items, right. working area, holding and storage. Right, but the, the reason the, the holding thing, I know it's dumb, but sticking with our kitchen one, let's say we're making, I don't know, some kind of a pasta dish. We're going to heat up some frozen pasta. Um, we're making, we're making pasta and, so to me, like the uh, the shaker cheese, <laughs> sorry, but like for example, like let's say let's say you were going to put some parmesan on this. Well, the parmesan lives in the refrigerator at our house. I know everybody differs, butter in, butter out. Like I know everybody's different, but like parmesan cheese uh, goes in there. Like Tabasco goes in there, but Tabasco that then gets moved to, and I should say we've got an island, like one of the stainless steel islands that was transformative in our kitchen. Because it's if it were any bigger, it would be a nuisance. But not having it means the counter just like doesn't take Thanksgiving to fill up every counter in our house. But to me, when you take the Parmesan or the Tabasco out and you put it, and again, I think of this as mise en place, you put this here. That's now that has now become a holding area, just in the sense that this is going to need the stuff here is going to need to go back somewhere. But or like your daughter and art supplies, which I'm sure she's extremely organized about. Like if you're if you're working on watercolors, you don't need your oils to be out. The watercolors or whatever, your markers. I have markers out because this is a markers project, and I know that. So that now has become the markers holding area. I sound insane, don't I? I sound a little insane. Well, that's what all these books are like that are about these things. You come up with the system, you come up with uh, like a nomenclature or hierarchy, and uh, that sells the books. But uh, even if you're not publishing a book, you're publishing the book in your mind, and that can help you have something to latch onto. But it's also like... I've joked about this, joking, not joking. Um, it's not that I, how shall I put this in a politic way? It's not that I disrespect the advice of people who are good at something, but I much more revere the advice of people who are not good at something, but are trying really hard for, for several reasons. I mean, you know, it's, think of it this way. Another one of these, like, a, and also ran for my pantheon is that book, The Now Habit by a hypnotist named Neil Fiore, Dr. Neil Fiore. And that book was a little bit transformative. No, it was pretty dang transformative for me. That's what led to the procrastination dash, or what is now called a Pomodoro, I guess. I should have put, put a tomato on it. Um, but the procrastina procrastination comes out of fear, often unnecessary fear. Like, think about a balance beam, which, if memory serves, is four inches wide. Like, if there's a balance beam on the floor of your living room while you're watching TV, you could probably walk across that balance beam pretty well and like maybe even not think too much about it. If that was four or five feet off the ground, you'd probably feel differently about it. And for damn sure, if it was between the two towers, you'd feel very, very differently. If you were doing a Philippe Petit, like you would feel very differently about it. Suddenly that four inches is not always four inches. And the now habit is this idea of saying, like, well, what do I do to start removing all the anxiety and fear that causes me to procrastinate? Because procrastination is a disorder where you unconsciously usually reward yourself because you didn't get nailed to the wall for something you know you were supposed to do. And that becomes like anything, like watching MSNBC, like any of that stuff. It becomes like a little bit of a dopamine rush. So procrastination can become addictive. That really, that really helped me, you know, to understand that. And I think in our, in our home, in our offices, in our life, I just think it's, 
I think it's beneficial to like to just think about, I don't know, see, I, I do sound nuts. I like getting advice from people who are screwed up. And, you know, like everybody's got a story. I don't know if Susie Orman or whoever, like everybody's got a story about, you know, there's a very funny bit on Upright Citizens Brigade. And it's it's just a wonderful bit about, it's a multi-level marketing thing. And it's about, you develop a new brain. And new brain, and and each one of the speakers, Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, all, all the speakers are like, I used to weigh 400 pounds. I was doing a lot of heroin and doing my dishes in the bathtub. And then I became an astronaut. And now I did, did all these things because new brain. And that's, I, I don't, that doesn't feel helpful to me because they're screwed up in a dishonest way. But like, I always thought I was, I like to believe that I was weirdly well-suited for doing 43 folders because I was not only being broken, a little bit broken in public, a little bit vulnerable in public, but trying to say like, you're welcome to watch me try to be less terrible at this. And I just feel like in the same way as on hoarders, there's this one woman who's always reminding you, she's a doctor that specializes in chronic hoarding. And she's just, she's just so mean about like, how did you let your life get like this? I'm like, oh my God, you've never talked to a hoarder. Like, Ah, uh, that's not advice. Yelling at them to make them feel bad about how you didn't take care of your daughter's kids when she was in jail for drugs, like that's not helping. You need somebody who understands the, I don't say the disorder, but the the disordered thinking that the in many cases, or the trauma in some cases, that leads us to be how we are. So that's why, I mean, like, and if anything, I learned with David Allen, like he was a really a goofy guy. He's a goofy guy who rode a motorcycle and he wrote a book called Getting Things Done and he didn't like it. So he threw out the entire book and started over. And then he became like a Goldman Sachs guy where he would get a little bit short tempered with people when they wouldn't listen to him just say, just go do the system. But like, I would like to think like you'll always be welcome at my cafeteria table if you're a little bit broken too. Like you're, it's okay. We can talk about this. We can even have a laugh about it. That doesn't mean we're unserious about being less bad at something, but I just have, I have so much more, you know, uh, brio for people who are like struggling the way I am. It was the very first thing I ever said about you on a podcast. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but I definitely do. It was like back when you had your back to work and I was probably doing hypercritical and, yeah. so, and we were all in the same network and somehow uh, there was like an episode of your show and it came up and I was talking to Dan about it or something. And it was, I think the episode was like, I think you had previously had an episode where you were talking about some topic about, you know, uh, trying to do something and here's how you think about it and here's how you do whatever. And you were getting like pushback from people saying, why am I going to listen to Merlin? Oh, that's fine for Merlin. <laughs> no, no, it's not. That's fine for Merlin. It oh. was like, why am I going to listen to Merlin telling me about how to do X? He's terrible at X. Why would I, why would I listen to a podcast where, you know, someone's saying, here's how you should do this. And then right. I look at this person and I look at their life and they dem demonstrably cannot do that. And I, what I said in hypercritical was, I was like, well, if you're going to listen to a podcast about someone who explaining how to deal with a difficult situation, it's probably a good idea for that person to have faced that difficult situation themselves or at right, least know a right. lot about it. Uh, whereas if someone just never has that problem, like if, they, if someone never procrastinates, like why don't you just do your stuff? Like that's not exactly that, which is, which is not, it's not only it's anybody who knows anything about procrastination would say, well, that's not really advice. And it's, it's definitely not helpful. I'll repay the compliment by saying that, you know, there's a phrase you use that you used on the last ATP that I really like. And I find myself thinking about a lot. What is it you say when somebody in your family 
is banging on a computer or is like shaking the TV or like, what is the phrase you use? They don't. Well, I'm talking about grokking it from the. They don't have empathy for uh, the, the machine. Empathy for the machine. Okay. Yep. Right. They don't have empathy for the machine. Um, and to, should that matter? I don't know. I bet you could be pretty technically good at a lot of stuff, I guess, without empathy for the machine. But empathy, if I'm using that word correctly, and I'm not sure that I am, um, empathy gives you access to somebody's interior world in a way that straight lecturing does not. Which, as anybody who's ever seen any of my talks will tell you, like, go watch that talk at the WordPress thing where I just yelled at everybody for being SEO douchebags. Like, it doesn't mean I'm always nice. It's like candle nights, you know? It's like no cursing, but that doesn't mean there's no challenging content. Like, I think you can be both of those. You can be a little bit Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. You can be a little bit Lieutenant Lipton. You can be like a mix of a lot of things. And it's just that the thing you choose to be tough about and the thing you choose to assert your authority about, it ought to be a good match for the person with whom you're trying to have empathy. And empathy does not mean you just put up with everything. That makes you a codependent weirdo. But like, I, I do think, I don't know. I, I always, you know, in, in life, I have a, a natural inclination. I want, I want power trios. I love power trios and rock and roll. The power trio, whether that's Cream or, you know, whomever, or the who in some ways. But like three musicians on stage together in the Minutemen, like there's something so powerful about a power trio. And I, I, it's, it's such an economical way to play rock music, but very, very difficult in a way that's not always obvious. That's, that's one of my empathies for the machine is I'm like, man, I've been in a power trio and it's, it's fun, but it can be very difficult. And once you've done that, and then you see it, you appreciate it in a way that you couldn't if you hadn't done it. You wouldn't have the same empathy. And so when you're trying to coach somebody, consult with somebody, whatever it is, in your case, when you're trying to be a, be a good leader with the folks on your team, like, I see you do it with me. You, you, you have it in you to be very kind to me at some times, but also, again, I like to think, demand me because you think I can step up. I don't know if that's true or not. I'd like to think so. But I think that's, that's the weird thing. And you end up, God willing, becoming a little bit like a good parent, which is like, I'm here to keep you from dying, but I'm also here to, I'm not here to stop you from living. And like, that's going to take a funny mix of stuff that we're both going to be able to provide and receive different kinds of things on different days. So yeah, I mean, I, I would not want to take, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about like, for example, Vice has this heartbreaking series, um, basically on, on, on drug abuse and meth in particular, and these people who are still very much recovering meth addicts who are working really hard with people who are trying to stop being meth addicts, and which makes them both uniquely vulnerable and uniquely effective. Like, they have so much more credibility than somebody who pisses from the high ground and talks about the Old Testament and stuff like that. I don't know. I think we need to have empathy for the machine because sometimes the machine is us and sometimes the machine is our pals. As usual, you're slightly warping my empathy machine saying, but you're you're getting at the empathy part of Define it for it. sure. Uh, the I take I take that to I do, well go no you go I ahead. mean you're 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 repurposing it, but the empathy of the machine is like um it's it's literally like I'm I'm not being a, a metaphorical. I'm talking about like an actual machine. Like very often when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with the machine or like how to be successful in using it, you have to sort of put yourself in the place of the machine and say, what am I asking of this machine? 
And if I was asked what, to do what was that, this, what was this designed for? If, if I was, if I was this machine and I was asked to do this thing, how well equipped would I feel to do it? And obviously for computer programming, it's a little bit more abstract, but it's similar in that, like, what am I asking the computer to do here? And am I asking it to do something that I would be annoyed about if I was the computer? Uh, and you know, where, where you might feel if you were the machine, you might feel inclined to say that's a dumb question, or or just like you know. It, Polling is a good example, a simple one, right? Polling is when you check, mm-hmm. is, it, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? If I'm making a computer ask... This is why we can't have good progress yeah, if, I, if I'm asking, making a computer asks if something is done yet thousands of times per second, that's not empathy of the machine. That's cruel. Sure. It's cruel to sure, make sure. a machine do that because like, look, I only care with maybe one second worth of a precision whether it's done. Why am I asking millions of times, thousands or millions of but times a, a second? isn't your coat rack kind of another example of that? If we use machine in a broader sense. Yeah, put yourself in the place of the turn. coat rack. How would you feel if you had all the coats on one right. side of well, you? Well, your you hook is turned into too. a crook. I'm doing everything I can as an incommunicative piece of fake wood mm-hmm. to tell you you're not using me right. Yeah. That you're not, you're not, you know, there's a, a wonderful distinction, you know, it's in Strunk and White, learn it. There's a diff- don't say utilize if you mean use, right? If, if, if you mean use, just you say use. You did that use. on this very show, Merlin, man. I did not. What are you talking you about? You absolutely did. I did not. Go check it in the script. Go check it in the script later. It'll be great. I can't, I can't do that. I don't have that. <laughs> you don't have the utilizing technology. To me, utilizing to me means not simply using. Like, we want to utilize them. I think that utilize to me em- encompasses using something appropriately and perhaps even to its best purpose. So like today, it doesn't matter, but just for the, for ticket is red that I've got some, you know, uh, blinds, you know, the, with the little turny thing and you can pull them up and down and, and long story short, I, uh, every six months or so I rotate these around, I dust them because they kind of like wear in a weird way. One of the, one of it has a center holder and the other one doesn't. So there's a sag that develops. It's very strange. So I get out my beautiful ladder. I have a really nice ladder. Um, I have a, such a good ladder. I might get it for you. It's such a good ladder. I have a great ladder. I get up there. And now I, I need to always remember, because it's been just long enough for me to forget how to get this. The, the, two, the sets of blinds are identical. The brackets that hold them are different. And so I'm up there with a leather man with the saw tool pulled out on a ladder, looking like gal- uh, Gallant or Goofus, I mean, looking like Goofus and a safety video. Because I'm going to try and unhook a bracket on, you know, eight feet off the ground with a razor sharp saw on a leather man. That to me is a pretty good example of like, hey, dude, you should have had some empathy for the machine. The machine of <laughs> the leather man, the machine of the blinds, and the machine of yourself with the ladder there as a good sidekick. Like that could have gone so wrong because I was not utilizing any of those things for what they're best at. Yeah. And it sounds like, oh, well, you're, why you, embodying inanimate objects with spirit to say you're not actually having empathy but the thing is you will have a more successful relationship with Ah, with the item if like like if you have empathy for you're trying to start a lawnmower and you're a real with it yeah you kind of gotta be nice you gotta be nice to the lawnmower or if you're just if you're annoying to your faucet you're constantly smacking it from side to side and eventually it comes loose and springs a leak it's like you didn't have empathy for the machine you will have a better relationship with your coat rack if you can occasionally put yourself in the place of the coat rack and say i don't want to be the way some people break on the road we're like even if you've got all the money in the world for all the closets in the world and all the brakes in the world you're still a terrible driver even though you have the resources to replace the parts that you're not, you know, you can get a new clutch, you can get in, you can get new brakes. But like, didn't you ever see the commercials for Shell? 
like two car lengths apart, like all that stuff, that to me represents empathy for the machine. And now we're getting way beyond out of the scope for this, which is like the issue of quality and properness. Like I think it's valuable to learn the right way to do something for a lot of reasons. Um, and I don't know. Anyway, we're getting way out of scope. It, okay, so we got to go. Five kinds of various. I think I've done everything I need to do about this. I've said all I need to say. If, if you have more thoughts on this, observations, suggestions, will you share it with people? Because I, I think we're addressing something people don't even realize they think about. I'll just save it for uh, the blurb that I'll put on your book. Hmm. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. It's about time, you know. Got to push something out. Hmm. Do you want some email tips? I do not. Yeah, me neither. Thank you.